Welcome to EU Code Week Podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. everyone and welcome. We are your hosts, Eugenia Casariego and Mahal Keir. With this series of podcasts, we on the EU Code Week team would like to contribute to changing the education system in Europe and adapting it into a society that is getting more and more digitalized. Maha and I are part of the EU Code Week team, supporting our lively community of educators to teach coding and computational thinking. In this episode, we're going to be looking at how coding is, at its core, a creative activity. We will be discussing today about the work of Code.org, a US-based nonprofit dedicated to bringing computer science to all young people, regardless of age, gender, or background. They strive for computer science to be part of the school curriculum. With a vision so closely related to Code Weeks, we have cooperated closely with Code.org, including sessions on their CS Fundamentals curriculum in our teacher training courses. And in fact, this year, they have designed three of our challenges. We invite you today to explore this topic with us. Exactly, Eugenia. And we are excited to speak about that with our guest from today, Kenneth Akiha, a curriculum development manager from Code.org. So welcome, Ken, and thank you for joining us. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about yourself and your experience? Yeah. Hi. It's great to be here. My name is Ken Akiha. Like you said, uh, I've been working for Code.org for the past year. I'm based in the Seattle area in Washington State in the United States. Before For joining Code.org, I worked as a classroom teacher, both at the kind of grade six through 12 level, teaching both science and computer science. I also did some work as a facilitator, training teachers how to implement computer science into their classrooms. And yeah, and then this past year working at Code.org, like you said, I work on the curriculum development. And so that means making things from lesson plans to teacher resources to collecting feedback from teachers and students about uh, how our curriculum is working for them in their classrooms. Great. As we can see, you're very passionate about making computer science more prominent in schools, in your case in the U.S. Um, Why is that and what inspired you to advocate for teaching this subject in schools? That's a great question. Yeah, and definitely gets at the heart of the mission of Code.org as an organization. And for me personally, the reason that I got into teaching in the first place was kind of equity at the base of it, realizing that just as it is in other parts of the world, but certainly here in the US, a lot about the access to education was determined by basically your zip code where you where you grew up, where you happen to be living. And to me, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> And I think also what drew me to computer science was the experience with the students that I taught it to at first. I saw how I was able to connect with them in a different way than I had found with other subjects, I think mostly because it was so relatable to their lives. And they felt that what they were learning and what they were creating, they had a direct um, application to, to problems that they saw or ideas that they had or things that they wanted to create. And so that connection was really strong and it gave me a lot of energy as, as an educator. And so wanting to, to spread that type of experience to other students and teachers um, as part of my work now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I have a couple of questions. So you currently work uh, uh, with the curriculum development at Code.org. And so I have a couple of questions about this curriculum and the CS Fundamentals curriculum. So I'm wondering, first of all, you've mentioned equity and you mentioned that this is something important to you. So how would you explain to our listeners how does CS Fundamentals curriculum and Code.org in general promote equity um, across the classrooms? And as well, how does this curriculum transition from primary to secondary school? 
So I would say at code.org, equity is one of the was one of our core values. And the way that that comes through is, is in, a, in a few different ways. So I think first acknowledging that as a curriculum team, like when we sit down to write down, write any lesson or any new course or anything like that, the teachers that we have in mind that we're trying to support and the students that those teachers work with are the students that we currently don't see, you know, represented in tech industry, computer science uh, related jobs. So kind of primarily those would be female students and then also students from, yeah, traditionally underrepresented groups. And so in terms of, yeah, how that comes across in the in the classroom, I think traditionally, like the, the biggest thing has just been to try to, like I said, make access as easy as, as possible for anyone to bring it to their school. And so really thinking about when we design for thinking about the teacher, thinking about a, a teacher who might not have any experience with computer science prior to this, right? And so what can we do to support that teacher in terms of things that are put in the lesson plan, things that are put into the lesson itself that helps support them feel confident in implementing a lesson and delivering it. And then also within what we when we make a lesson in terms of who is represented. So we, we, we have a number of videos that go with our curriculum and trying to think about who are the faces that are shown in those videos. So when students are seeing that, who is it that they are seeing as a computer scientist and what are they, what's that image that they start to develop of what that means and what type of person is that and is that someone that they can identify with and see themselves in uh you also asked about primary to secondary so currently we have three i guess courses that we call them so computer science fundamentals is kind of for grades k through five and then computer science discoveries is say six through ten and then our computer science principles is for high school grades and I would say that kind of the the way that it the kind of transition works is if you think about it from the high school and computer science principles is really mostly implemented as a full course kind of standalone computer science course. Um, it's actually connected to the advanced placement program that we have here, and so students can earn credit through that. But and that's one reason why it's often implemented as a full course. But as you go down towards the primary grades, it becomes more of a of a modular implementation. So even computer science discoveries can be taught as a, as a full course, but we find that lots of teachers are using individual units throughout that. And we design with that in mind, knowing that you might not do every unit in the course. And then certainly with computer science fundamentals, we actually have within computer science fundamentals, we actually have courses A through F. So even within that, there are a bunch of small different courses and that I would say even more so in the elementary uh, primary grades, we have teachers who implement it in all sorts of ways. So whereas middle school and high school, it's, it's more common that it's an elective or kind of a standalone computer science course. In primary grades, it's more often or it's more of a mix. So sometimes it might be more integrated into other subjects or maybe taught as its own thing, but it's not uh, it's not as much kind of on its own. And in terms of the, the like you kind of mentioned, like, does it get harder or not? I think the subject matter is, is different. And we certainly, yeah, we're writing for a different audience. But in terms of the computer science content, even computer science principles doesn't assume that a student has had any computer science background prior to entering that course. And so we try to lower that um, barrier for access, no matter where it is, because we acknowledge that students at this point, we have a vision that it's not like this forever. But at this point, the reality is, right, and I can speak from my own experiences that 90% of the students that I taught when I taught them computer science principles hadn't taken any computer science before. And so we were maybe working with some things that required some, yeah, it's assumed a high school audience, right, in terms of like what the what they're doing in terms of the writing and reading um, background. But in terms of the computer science, it really 
was starting from a, a baseline of, of no experience. Right. And so to follow up on that, so in Europe, we tend to have an approach to computer science as a bit more cross-curricular rather than dedicating a whole subject to that. So what do you think is best to tackle this lack of background in computer science? Do you think it's best to include a subject that is specifically computer science, um, which is, for example, done in Ireland? Or do you think it's best to include computer science a bit more cross-curricular across different subjects? I wouldn't say from our perspective that there's there's one that's better than another. Like I said, traditionally, we as an organization, we focus more on the standalone kind of computer science as its own thing approach. But we acknowledge we're at a point now where we, we are starting to do more work with yeah, cross-curricular implementation, realizing that, that for a lot of places, even here in the US, that's that's the approach that is going to work best for them. And it's going to be the way to help yeah, students in those areas. Great. Thanks a lot. So drawing on all the things that we have discussed and on the challenges that you have mentioned, that is equity and access. How do you use coding and computing in your class? Like perhaps you could share some concrete example of what is your day-to-day classes? One big way that we try to implement coding in our classroom is through what we call unplugged activities. And so these activities would be things where students are maybe using physical, physical manipulatives, like even something like sticky notes or plastic bags to to try to understand how variables work. Um, but they're not actually using a computer, but they're using those concepts and they're talking, starting to develop a mental model for those concepts. Uh, lots of different unplugged activities. We find, again, that those help with equity too, because thinking about students who might come into a course with different levels of background, those unplugged activities we find usually kind of um, level the playing field in terms of thinking about coming at things from a shared experience and so that everybody's on the same page. No one is kind of advantaged by maybe some prior experience or whatever they might be coming into the course with. Um, we also find that those really help build community and kind of engage students in a different way than when they're on the computer. Another way that we use uh, coding is by having students read you know, code that was written by somebody else. And so looking at pre-written code, um, trying to understand how it works, discussing it with themselves, with, um, you know, with their classmates, discussing it with their teacher, asking questions about how it might be working, trying to test it out and see what they can discover about it. And you have mentioned now a few ways in which we can creatively bring computer science into our classroom. You have mentioned like kind of project-based learning, if I can call it that, playful learning as well, and different uh, approaches. I'm now just wondering about the different subjects as traditionally in school we have very different boxes where we put kind of educa- educative materials, not you, you, teach, you taught science, for example, and so that was one box. So now I was wondering, so for some subjects, is it easier than for others to integrate coding and computational thinking? And how can we make it easier for those subjects that we traditionally may not bring coding to? Yeah, that's a great question. That's definitely something we're, we're thinking about and trying to grapple with right now. At this point, I wouldn't say that I have a clear feeling opinion that one is easier than the, the other, because I think we have examples where um, it can work well for kind of all, all different subjects. If I think about who our teachers are, there's certainly at this point, there are more teachers who I would say have like a more of a math science background who then have kind of maybe started teaching computer science. So I think from that perspective, in some ways you might say, you know, from the teacher background perspective, there's there's maybe a, a tendency to integrate it with math and, and and science. But that being said, I think there's a lot of factors that are contributing to to why that is. 
you know, and I would say even some stuff that we're trying to fight, explicitly fight against that, you know, you have to be good at math and science to be a computer scientist is something that we're trying to directly combat. So I think, you know, what we're trying to do right now, and I think what helped to bridge the gap, two, two, two things, I think, to show some examples of what it can look like. I think for a lot of teachers, they, there's a desire to integrate some computer science, but there's not a clear image or not a clear understanding of what that looks like for their class, right? They maybe just haven't ever seen something like that. So I think providing some examples of, you know, we're working on something right now with um, poetry and coding. So I can imagine a teacher seeing that and seeing as, a, as an English teacher and saying like, oh, okay, I never even thought about that. And that. But now that gives me some ideas about how I might do that exact thing in my class or something related like that in my class. The other thing I, what we're trying to help in terms of bridging that is just different levels of of integration, right? Basically, all the way from, you know, pretty heavily involved, almost like a full unit or a full what we're calling modules where there's it's kind of all scripted out for you, you can kind of take it and use it. But it's pretty it, it's a it's a high involvement in terms of your classroom time and and maybe the preparation from a teacher all the way down to like one just one lesson, right? So one thing that you might just try because it's related to something that you're doing in, in your in your math class or your history class that week. And then some things in between, like uh, something that we're trying to work on too, is like a, kind of these more open-ended projects. So similar, like give some examples but um, and provide a framework, but not as much of like a scripted lesson plan, but some ideas that teachers can then take and then adapt to their own classroom. Because we realize at this point, I don't think there's ever a future where we're going to be designing something that's aligned with everything for every different subject, right? There's just such a wide variety. And so it's more about how do we give teachers examples that then and the skills and the confidence that then they can take it and adapt it to their own, whatever they might be teaching with their students. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that. It's, it's not about just uh, telling them, okay, do this and do that. It's more about suggesting and kind of providing that kind of support or scaffolding, if we can call it that. I think from Codewick as well, we can subscribe to that opinion in the sense that we do believe that coding and computational thinking or computer science can be integrated in all subjects. And I think there's a good moment to remind our listeners that at codewick.eu, you can find resources to integrate coding and computational thinking and, and again, computer science across the curriculum. And you're going to find a lot of materials that will help you to do so and that you'll find a lot of support to do so. But um, I want to get into another point. So now we're talking about the why and we're talking about the how. And so we've covered and we've discussed a bit the obstacles in access for students. So we've talked about equity, we talk about difficulty in access, but what are the, in your opinion, what are the biggest obstacles for teachers and how can we make them easier for them to bring computer science or computing to their classroom? From my perspective, the biggest obstacle for, for teachers is time. I think time both in their schedule of what they're teaching. And, and again, I'm speaking from kind of a U.S. perspective, so I'm not sure how, if it's, if it plays differently in Europe, but, you know, most teachers that I worked with and that I and that I work with now um, already pretty overworked and over scheduled and overbooked. And so asking them to to add something new was just kind of, you know, could also could just kind of felt like it could be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back or just very easy to say no to um, because already felt like doing all they could and maybe weren't feeling supported. So I think what we try to do with our approach is not is say that it's not that there's the curriculum piece, but we also offer a professional learning side with all of our courses. The goal there being that we provide teachers with a with a community um, of support 
So, because I think I, I would say maybe that's another obstacle, especially in lots of areas in the in the U.S. You know, you might be the only person trying to teach computer science in your whole school or your whole district, your whole town, and that um, that can be kind of an isolating feeling and, and definitely an obstacle to persisting with with it. So, I think supporting teachers with that community, you know, we, the professional learning that we offer is uh, for the computer science discoveries and the computer science principles is a five day workshop in the summer, and then four weekends, uh, four single day workshops throughout the year. Yeah. So I think just, sorry, going back to the first point that I meant made about time too, I think we try to value like the, the time that a teacher has. So knowing that if they are going to, um, attend professional learning, right? Like how, how are we making sure that that time is the most valuable? And if they are picking up our curriculum to use it, right? How can we make sure that we've provided them with the most supports and resources in those lesson plans and in the in on our platform that they that they feel like they can figure it out and 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 um, make it useful for their situation? Thanks a lot. I think it's really important what you mentioned, obviously about time. But I think that's an issue that almost I think all the teachers have. But one important point that you also mentioned is the sense of belonging and the sense of community, and this is actually. What we try to do as well in Code Week, like to create a sort of, I would say, family for them, you know, to be able to to reach out to other teachers, maybe even in the same country, and to see that actually they might have the same issues, they might experience the same problems, and with that they can help create, you know, it's like a sort of action plan all together to solve these issues. So I think it's it's actually really important because a lot of teachers, for instance, might teach in some rural areas where they they feel isolated, like you mentioned. And so I think it's really important to emphasize on the fact that they do have a community and it's super, super important. Corridor encourages the integration of computer science and curricula, as we have discussed right now. And you have actually been quite successful at that, if not very successful. And in Europe, as I, as we were commenting, Code Week has steadily been growing since 2013 and involving millions of educators all over the continent and even actually beyond. But Ken, how do you see the future? Do you think we can look forward to national curricula, which incorporates computer science? Um, how do you see that our efforts will lead us, you know, five years from now, for example? I wish I could see it into the future for sure. Um, I think speaking for the, the U.S., education is something that's very localized here in the U.S., definitely like state by state, but even even district by district, right? Um, decisions that are made and the autonomy that's given to those districts. And I think um, there's definitely pros and cons to that for sure. But because of that nature, I think I wouldn't say national curriculum is something that we we talk a whole lot about here in in the U.S. and and really think of as kind of a as something in the future. We think of it as it's going to be uh, kind of a piece by piece approach, right? And so some some states are going to make it kind of mandatory across the state, and others it might be kind of more of a bottom up of approach where some teachers teachers are picking it up, kind of like. I, I did and lots of other folks um, are, are doing all the time and kind of sp spreading it in their district, spreading it in their their community, in their state. And at the same time, I will say, I think there there is momentum building towards what I think a, a lot of folks who, who teach it, teachers who teach it, it's, it's kind of the reason, it's something, it was definitely a part of the reason why I started to teach it was, you know, I mentioned earlier the connection that my students had it, about it. And so I think from that perspective, there's a growing momentum nationally here that, that it is something that everybody needs to know. The part that's less clear, I think, to me and to us is, is how exactly that happens. I think that it's, it's happening. I'm 
hopeful. And, and I think I would say I'm even confident that it's going to continue to grow because I think more and more places are saying these things out loud and more and more governments and um, folks who kind of control that sort of stuff are, are talking about computer science out in the public. But I can't say that I, I, I would like a Yeah, that's just that concept of national curriculum, I think, is something that we don't talk too much. Yeah. We notice as well that digital technologies such as AI, cybersecurity, uh, they all develop very fast. So considering this, how do you think schools can keep up and how can they, how does this affect actually the teaching of the computer science and computing uh, in their classes? Yeah, this is definitely something that we, we talk a lot about, right? Yeah, it's it's how can schools keep up? How can yeah teachers keep up? How can we as, a, as people who are writing the curriculum keep up? Part of our goal with our curriculum is to is to empower students and also to empower teachers to kind of view the skills and the tools that they're learning as ways that kind of help them discover and learn about the world. And I, and so you know this idea of kind of always learning, I think, really goes well with with this. And just in terms of like the acknowledgement that yeah, this is different than it was last year, right? Or this is changing really fast. And I think you know I think it's something. Honestly, for for what I've found for students, like that's not something that they struggle with as much as maybe adults, um, just because they live in that that world a little bit more. That things are always changing, and that's that's kind of the world that they've always lived in. And so, I would say it's it's more of from what I see of the challenge is just to yeah the the school side and the teacher side just to feel like I think two things. So the acknowledgement that we we as a as a organization that's providing curriculum, we're not going to be able to be fully up to date all the time, right? Things are just changing too fast. And we don't have the bandwidth to be rewriting every single lesson when something changes. And then along with that, I think we also, we also hope that the lessons that we do write and the skills that we do teach are some kind of more like underlying concepts of how things work. And so far, at least our curriculum doesn't get too far into like the technical, super up to date, most recent methods of doing of doing like a you know, of a computing language or um, kind of network security, more of like the underlying principles that are there. I think, and that we hope that then that gives our students and then also our teachers like the the confidence then to go off and learn more and maybe dive into like, what is the current, you know, the most current version of this. And I think that's something that we, we hope that folks are empowered to do. I just had a bit of a follow-up question to that. And so as you're saying, it's indeed almost impossible to just catch up with how fast things are happening. And so would you then advocate or would you then agree to um, to give room to a more flexible curriculum? Because right now, at least in Europe, I'm not sure how it's in the US, we have quite rigid curriculums with quite um, structures on the content of its unit and its lesson. I mean, varies a bit from country to country, but I think that's the general idea. And so would you agree then to have more of a flexible curriculum? Do you think that could be a solution to these fast changes and to uh, assimilating these changes? Absolutely. I think that's that's essential because, like I said, we, we're, we're not going to stay up today on every single change, but we definitely take that approach of like a flexible curriculum. And I think that's important to take, yeah, if we think about that from like a, a national or even like a state level. I would argue that that's it, that that would be a good approach no matter the the content area, probably, you know, because I can think of some things that we still teach in, in math classes here in the U.S. that I would argue could be updated and could be like thought of more flexibly. But I think for computer science, uh, an area, yeah, like that we've talked about is changing so fast that that's, that's essential. You know, I think an example is that when we started making our curriculum, AI wasn't something that was really on our radar, but obviously it, it is now as it is with everybody. And we, yeah, we made a 
big an investment to make a whole unit about artificial intelligence and machine learning that we just published this past year. And so I think when we see these bigger swells of things that are topics that are becoming, you can't ignore these and they're, and they're essential and they're just as important as maybe, you know, learning how the internet works, like something that was is maybe an older concept, but AI being something that's a little bit newer, we're going to adapt to that and we're going to, you know, make curriculum that meets that. But I think it's more of these so, so more of the like broader kind of still, still fast moving changes, but these kind of larger areas rather than maybe trying to stay up to date on the exact, you know, details of, of internet encryption or whatever that, or whatever the subject might be. Yeah, I think I agree as well. I mean, digitalization is happening very fast and there is a gap between the teachers and the students because obviously with all the new tools that are, that are developed, but this leads me to my second question. Do you perhaps have a sort of suggestion for these teachers who would actually like to bring, you know, the changes that we, we talked already about, like flexible curriculum or any other changes that you might think of, what could be the tools and activities and arguments that they can leverage? Um, in terms of the approaches that teachers can take, I think some approaches that we advocate for are at a like big scale level, you know, as much data as possible to use. I think that can help get the attention of, of people who make decisions. So we, we talk about data in terms of jobs, kind of, you know, job, lot, lot, there are lots of jobs open in the U.S. that, that, that are looking for folks who, are, who have a CS background and, and kind of the, the salary of those jobs. We also talk about, we, we've kind of identified as an organization like nine policies that states can adopt to help promote computer science education. And so there's a portal that we have that we, that, where teachers can like look at those at their state and see which ones have their states have passed and which ones they haven't. And, that, and that's something that they can like advocate for kind of with their local officials or their local legislatures. And then I would say like from the more from like the bottom side up, something like that I have talked with other teachers and witnessed myself is I, I always think that like students and student work is the most impactful way to show the value of anything you're trying to do with students. But but certainly computer science is no different, right? I think this came, this, this happened in so many different ways, but it might be having students present at a school board meeting about projects that they've done um, a really common way that you know, teachers get more students to sign up for their classes is by students recruiting other students, right? And so I think letting the students do the talking about why they think computer science is valuable and why they think it's something that that's worth that they enjoy and it's and it's worth their time is another effective way to help kind of leverage like, why should we be doing this? Why should we be should we should we be doing more of this than than we have currently? So I think those are that's kind of my top-down approach and then my bottom-up approach suggestions when it comes to that. Yeah, and actually, to add up a bit about, about the bottom-up approach, I think it's also great, for instance, you know, to have a sort of digital approach. Uh, for instance, we noticed that there is also, you know, a Codard or a YouTube page. So I think it would be a great opportunity, for instance, to have teachers use, you know, social platforms such as YouTube. Do you, do you think it could be a great idea to mix, like, digital and live teaching when it comes to computing in their classes? Yeah. I think, yeah, I have, two, I have two thoughts there. I think one goes back to kind of the, the previous question, but yeah, so I think definitely, I mean, I think that something that every teacher has had to learn over the past year, year and a half with the pandemic is is kind of, if they weren't already incorporating kind of digital elements to their teaching, they, they, they have had to learn how to do that, right? Just you know, teaching on video calls, teaching remotely, teaching in these kind of different settings and using the tools to do that. And I think, so I think 
teachers have gained a lot of skills there and have seen what works and what doesn't in terms of yeah incorporating digital elements into their into their teaching and i think one example just going back to like the how to leverage it i think i mentioned the students but another thought i had and i think something that you that i've seen some districts do in the us is you know engaging parents and i think engaging parents through that can be sometimes done better digitally than it can be through in person, right? I think just scheduling and, and whatnot, it's sometimes hard to get parents in the building or get them face-to-face to talk with them, but engaging them in whatever way that might be, it might be through something like, um, you know, an e, like a code week activity, or it might be something more just kind of like a, a parent night, something like that. But hearing from your, from the community of parents in, in, in your area is something that I've found to also be an effective way to to get leverage and saying like, this is something that we want. And, you know, the, the YouTube page, I think I, I talked about the videos earlier, but that's something that I've always, you know, both as a teacher and then now as somebody working on the curriculum, you know, I think our, our videos are something that is really a big asset that we have as, a, as an organization. We have a team of folks who make the videos and they're really well done. And I think the videos can serve a lot of purposes. So, you know, like I mentioned is, we're really trying to support teachers who might not have any background in computer science. And so one one use of the videos is definitely to help support in terms of like content delivery, right? If if you don't, if a teacher maybe doesn't feel super confident about explaining the details of, yeah, I keep coming back to this, but how the internet works, right? We have a whole series of videos that explains that. And those are those are there on the YouTube page and they can be used however, but they're also then embedded in our lessons so that teachers feel like they can focus more on the activity with their students, engaging their students. And then if students might miss some of the bits of content, those videos can kind of fill in any of those gaps that might have happened throughout the throughout the lesson. And so, yeah, we design our videos with, with that in mind, with trying to help support that implementation and support and let teachers yeah almost give them permission to not be like the full expert on everything and let the video take care of some of it because we know we'd rather have them focus on being present with their students engaging with their students and maybe the activity that came before that that's going to be a lot better use of their time To sum up our conversation, I, I would say that we had what we have discussed today and, and what we, I think I, I take as main takeaway messages from this conversation is that not only how many ways um, are there for us to integrate coding and computer science in general into teaching. So we have discussed, for example, project-based learning. We have discussed as well, playful learning. But as well, I think what I take from our conversation today with you, Ken, is that there's already a lot of resources and there's already a lot of support to teachers and that's already there. And then we, we are going halfway there um, while understanding, of course, the obstacles that students and teachers may face. And I think this is something important that we have discussed today, that there are obstacles and that we acknowledge them and that we are actively working on that. But uh, Maha, what's your, I don't know, takeaway message from from today's uh, conversation? So to add up to what you have said, I think that for me, the main two points that we have today is, of course, there is a policy level that needs to be worked on, but also an important human level to this. So not only we have the teachers, we also have the students. And it's really important to work on this accessibility, as well as the sense of community. And I think that's common, whether it is in the US or whether it is in Europe. I think it's a worldwide issue, as we can say. Indeed, indeed. And so, Ken, would you like to add anything else before we close the episode? I think I would just say that I really like that point that you made, Maha, but like the human level. And I really think that in the end, that's that's a lot of what motivates the work that I do. And, and I think what I would just 
encourage people to try to to connect right yeah it's great to, to teach you know, teaching cs or, or doing a code week activity all of these things are are great and i think in the end the reason that they're great is because they allow they allow us to connect with with students in a different way than we maybe have before thank you thank you so much for joining us today ken it's, it's been a pleasure it's been great to hear more of the work that you do at code.org and that your impressions on on the current uh, status quo but as well on the future state of play so, so thank you very much so we are now coming to the end of the episode. We hope that you have enjoyed it and that you have been inspired to dive deeper into the exciting world of coding. And as well, that you have gotten a bit more familiar with the important work that Code.org is doing in the US, but as well internationally. Don't forget that you still can access um, freely the resources of Code.org as well as, of course, Code Week. So we invite you to check out both websites, both resources, and to use them on your teaching practice. And we hope also to see you next time for a new episode of our Coding Podcast with some interesting facts on coding and digital technologies in education. Goodbye. Goodbye.